Welcome. Thank you to everyone joining us online and to our speakers here at the Arizona State University California Center at the historic Herald Examiner Building. With great respect, Sokalo Public Square acknowledges the Yuhaviatam, the first people of this ancestral and unceded territory of Yangna that we now know as downtown Los Angeles. We honor their elders, past and present, and the Yuhaviatam descendants who are part of the Gabrieleño Tongva and the Fernandeño Tataviam nations. We recognize that the Tongva are still here, and we are committed to lifting up their stories, culture, and community. As Kuyam, we recognize our responsibility and obligation to care for their land. I'm Sarah Suarez, and I'm the Programming and Operations Manager of Socalo Public Square. We're an Arizona State University media enterprise. At Socalo, our mission is to connect people to ideas and to each other. Everything we do is free and everyone is welcome. We publish original writing and present conversations like this one. You can find us at Socalo Public Square as a podcast and on YouTube here. So please subscribe for our latest events. Tonight's conversation is presented in partnership with the LA 2050 Grants Challenge and the Goldhurst Foundation. And I'm excited to introduce our moderator, Joel Garcia, He's an artist, cultural organizer, and the director of Metzli Projects. Over to you, Joel. And just sit down, right? Yeah. Come on, Sage. Um, hey, everybody. Happy to be here with you all. Um, I am honored to be here with Gloria and Sissy, who um, I hope you you know tell us a little bit about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, as a way to kind of ground this conversation and ground like why you both are here, um, for me it wasn't you know when I know Sissy for a while, Gloria um, very much is is I think parallels a little bit of my journey here in Los Angeles. Um, so when when talking about like the issues that are important to Los Angeles, to the issues that um, as we come out of this like COVID reality. Um, I, for me, it is critical that we uplift, center, and support like the individuals and the organizations who straddle all these different issues, who are responding um, in the moment, very much, many times out of pocket, um, and mean out of pocket in so many different ways more than just monetary. Um, so, which is why you both are here. <laughs> And I know that's a lot to say, but I think it's important to, to ground us in, in, in that reality. Um, both COVID and the racial reckoning that the city has experienced has changed a lot for, for everybody. Um, and figuring out how to move forward as nonprofits, as grassroots organizations, as um, even like individual efforts to make this city as equitable as possible, as accessible as possible, um, is I think for me the you know one of the goals of this conversation. How do we do that? How can we at least offer up considerations for the audience, for anybody voting on on these issues, to like rethink like how we talk about these issues, right? So um, if you both can take a little bit of time and introduce yourselves, what you do but also how you came to be in your position. I think that's, that's an important part of why we're all here. So Gloria. Okay, thank you. Um, 
Hey everyone, uh, my name is Gloria Gonzalez with the Youth Justice Coalition. Um, currently the Youth Development Coordinator at the Youth Justice Coalition, but have held many roles and I think the primary role, I know that, right, like as I work in a nonprofit sector, there are like titles associated to the work scope, but I think for, for me and us at the YJC, we're supporting in many different ways. And so, yeah, that's like a little bit about that. Um, but I come to this work as a, as a youth organizer, as someone that um, went through the school to prison pipeline and like as someone that has seen, experienced a lot of different trauma and, you know, just a lot of the issues that we speak about. Um, Right now, uh, one of my friends, his name is Jose. He's fighting a life sentence. And, and yeah, I just wanted to bring him in the space because I think some of, the, some of the times, right, like people don't understand that these issues are issues that are happening in real time and affect us in real time and affect um, real people. That's not just a statistic, a number, um, or some form of data or literature for people to read. Thank you. Um, Sissy. <laughs> Hi, well, um, my name is Sissy Trin. I'm the executive director of SICA, the Southeast Asian Community Alliance. And we're based in Chinatown, and we do youth organizing, leadership development around housing justice, um, equitable development. How do we build a safe, sustainable, environmentally and economically just community, right, as a model for the rest of the city. Um, but then two years ago, we decided to make a huge shift in direction and started a COVID mutual aid program. Basically within maybe four days of um, the state shutting down because we were seeing that the city and the county and the state weren't translating documents into Chinese. They had no outreach strategies for folks that don't have access to to tech. So we have a lot of seniors in Chinatown and Lincoln Heights where we also work that don't know what the internet is, families that can't afford internet access, you know, and these are some of the poorest neighborhoods in the city. You know, I was telling Joelle um, right before here, I've been seeing a lot more seniors go dumpster diving in Chinatown, trying to collect recycling. Um, we've been providing rental assistance and cash assistance to a lot of families and seniors in our neighborhood. And, you know, I wrote rent checks for people who couldn't afford a $4 rent increase. You know, these are people who are on the verge of homelessness, you know, doing whatever they can to be able to hold on, but it's really hard when every time you leave the house, you're at risk of catching COVID, right? And a lot of these people don't have health insurance, so getting COVID could be, you know, a death sentence. You know, the issue of housing is, is um, it's always, I mean, sorry, I'm a brief kind of phrase it for myself. Um, the issue of land access for housing, has been always been a huge issue, right? The history of displacement of the city starts with the removal of um, native folks, right? The Tongva Tatavian folks often and placed in what became the root of mass incarceration, the missions. Um, 
And we look at housing now as primarily an issue that impacts Latinx and black communities, but that's not the case, right? Like I grew up in East LA, so I've seen kind of Alhambra, Monterey Park, like along the 10 freeway just get gentrified and nobody makes a peep, right? Like nobody says anything about that. So could you tell us a little bit more about like how, not just housing and, you know, cause SICA is a, both YJC and SICA are like multi-issue organizations. Right? We don't just deal with, with, with one issue, but we're dealing with multiple issues at once. Um, how, I guess this is a good opportunity to, to share with folks, how, how do you see housing or folks who are advocating for housing to also center um, you know, parts of the Asian community that are super poor? Like you said, like folks in Lincoln Heights, folks in Chinatown. It's challenging, right? And I'm sure that's the same with, with Gloria. Like, we don't get to choose our issues as people of color, right? We have no shortage of issues that we could be working on. And there are many times where I've had to say no, not because I didn't want to work on it, but because we're a small staff with limited capacity. You know, like, why aren't we working on immigration reform? Why aren't we working on um, education reform, right? And this isn't about what's more important or less important, it's just, where do we have capacity? Where do we have expertise? Where do we have resources? And, you know, it's hard. There are many times where I've had to kind of practically break down in tears to say saying no to a community member, why we can only do a limited amount of work. Because otherwise, we would just burn out. I mean, my staff and I are already on the verge of burning out just with, from our COVID work alone. I think with our housing justice work, it's really interesting to be part of a citywide or a countywide movement and to see how there's a huge class divide between the low-income folks who are homeowners, the low-income folks who have some level of economic mobility, and then the folks we work with, right? So we work with a lot of residents who live in residential motels, in single-room occupancy um, apartment buildings, and oftentimes when we're in conversations with our allies in other neighborhoods, we end up drifting towards the folks on Skid Row because a lot of our residents are dealing with more similar housing justice issues to the housed residents of Skid Row. I wanna be clear, right, um, the, the distinction. Um, and so it's been really interesting to kind of learn about their struggles, right, for the folks that are on the street and off the street and ways in which we can come together as allies, especially because I think a lot of people don't realize how racialized housing and homelessness is. Um, the fact that black people are five times more likely to be homeless than white people. And so for me, a lot of my work around racial allyship is how do I, as a housing justice person, be a better ally to the unhoused and then the um, highly risked, you know, the, the black unhoused residents in LA and then also the folks that are on the verge of becoming unhoused. So as this LA 2050 Challenge Grants Program shifts from voting on organizations who some very popular can run a campaign to win, um, as this shifts to like more of an issue-based grants program, um, I think it creates that opportunity, right, to be able to like talk about these things a little bit with a little bit more efficiency and, and tactfulness, I guess. Um, 
But I think, you know, the conversation around racism here in LA and California really lacks a, a, a class analysis. You know, and I want to just kind of put that out there. So if you, any of you both want to respond to that, like feel free, but um, kind of similar, similar question, Gloria, around the work that y'all are doing when it comes to, you know, housing youth who are coming out of um, incarceration, in, you know, adults who are also coming out of incarceration. It's easy to say like, well, <clears throat> we, can, we can put them up in transitional housing. Um, but the idea of employment, right? The idea of, of not low level employment, but like employment, right? One of the big things that like Homeboy Industries was very successful at was saying like, nothing stops a bullet like a job. Um, but even then some of the folks who've been getting jobs for like 10 years and can't move up in, in, their, in their position are saying like, you know, a job isn't enough anymore. Like we need to own, we need to own our own businesses. Um, the work that you all do in rediverting funds or helping redivert, redivert funds from probation, from these other carceral forms into community programs, like what does that look like for you? Like what, what how would you want this to, to <clears throat> not just look like, but also feel? I think that, that embodiment of, of equity is very different from saying like, well, we'll, you know, we'll make this accessible to folks. Yeah, oh, that's a very hard and difficult question, right? Like when young people are coming home, uh, we're seeing like the lack of inconsistencies, right? Like not the so many inconsistencies, right? Like in that young person's life. And, and again, that's where we go down like that school to prison or school to jail track because um, when young people are coming home, a lot of them are facing houselessness, right? And um, are on the verge of being kicked out or their parents can't pay the rent, right? And so, and especially during the pandemic. And so one of the things that we're seeing is how this is like a issue that's like an umbrella and it has so many layers and it is like super classist, right? And thinking about how the folks that are already experiencing these systems um, and now like then now there's like this other uh, barrier which is like housing and it's very real and there aren't a lot of resources or access to house to housing and even um to like we've had to like walk people through a whole process and they might not they might not get sustainable housing or they might not get housing right so we're seeing young people living in their cars a lot right and then coming to school and you know being able to get support there while they're there but that isn't enough. And in terms of like reinvestment and probation dollars, I think in LA County, it costs around 800 to 850,000 to incarcerate one young person. But there are no dollars that are being shifted from probation to support young people to excel in life and thrive through like a youth development lens. And as we fight these systems, what we see is that the system is used to not being held accountable and has many loopholes, right? And so it is about holding um, the Board of Supervisors, right, City Council, the folks in power that are in these elected positions to really not be about relationship building, but look at what the community needs and what the young people need. Right. So and I think for us, because we're working on legal issues, we're working on youth development. We're also working on like on alternatives to policing. Right. And 
also surviving like day to day, right? And the burnout is super real, right? Um, and playing many hats, right? Because you want to be able to support folks in a way that's not about um, just emails, but that's like really about connecting with folks, learning their issues and figuring out a plan. And everyone's plan looks different, right? But it takes capacity. And so looking at how there aren't many opportunities, we have the Juvenile Justice um, Crime Preve Prevention Act, right, that allocates around $30 million to LA County um, for reentry services. But even then, right, that money and that budget is very restricted. But also folks don't know where to advocate to shift dollars. So. In that, in this, in, in just your part, you touched on every every issue area that the LA 2050 Grants Program is offering. So for folks out there who who have questions about how like what you both are sharing kind of connects to the Grants Challenge Program, like feel free to ask and we'll, we'll respond as best possible. Um, but the five areas are play, create, um, learn. What were the other ones? Let me remind myself. Um, so play, learn, create, live, and connect. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's, it's a little, it can feel overwhelming to, like, just think, like, this is what we do. Like, this is what we all do. Like, we touch on all these areas. Um, so that gap between youth development. And for folks who might not know, um, what youth development is or how it's being implemented now. Like youth development traditionally has been looked at um, either something that scholastically you support young folks with, like, you know, tutoring and stuff, or sports activities, right? Like here's an after-school program, go play basketball. And that was it. But folks like YJC and other, other entities and in, in other organizations across the city and the county have pushed that to um, even the idea of calling it positive youth development was like crazy, right? <laughs> um, but like de developing this ecosystem of like, how do we connect the youth development aspect of it to jobs, right? And like, what is that in between there that needs to happen? So here- Go jump in. My big pet peeve um, is the narrative around, if we get kids into college, we're gonna solve poverty. Now, I'm not against getting kids in college. I spend a lot of my time trying to get our students into college, but that's a pathway for a small subset of students. There's always gonna be a need for janitors and restaurant workers and garment workers. And until we're willing to pay them a living wage and guarantee that everybody who uh, needs a decent standard of living, everybody deserves it regardless of whether they can work or not, right? We, have, we work with a lot of seniors who aren't gonna be able to work. They're 90 years old, right? They're disabled. They're collecting recycling because they can't work. So they don't deserve to live in poverty. They don't deserve to live in substandard housing, right? And so for me, just connecting people to jobs isn't enough, especially when the vast majority of job growth in this county is for people who are basically too poor to qualify for affordable housing. Yeah. You also work with youth. Yes. Not just housing issues. <laughs> <laughs> right. So on that too, like um, that connectivity thing, like the human spirit blossoms when, when they're connected to other folks. Disconnection is the primary reason a lot of youth end up incarcerated. Disconnected from opportunities, disconnected from mentorship, disconnected from all kinds of things. Um, 
And we know that disconnected youth have a higher rate, what is it like 80% of disconnected youth end up back in some form of contact with, with police. Um, so that gap between housing and then green space, which is one of the big issues that a lot of folks in LA seem to care about. Um, the idea of playing, right? Like brown kids playing at the park is something to call the police about now, right? Like the parks are for playing, the parks are for, um, for learning too. Um, so what, for the folks out there listening, like what, what should they consider when supporting organizations who want to propose projects that are, that are about green space. And I hate to use the word community safety because community safety always is parallel <clears throat> with policing. Um, so I like to use the term community wellness, right? Like if folks are out, able to go out and do the things they need to do to be okay, then to me that's like supporting their wellness. Um, and maybe shout out some organizations out there that you all know are doing some of this good work because I know like we try to do a lot and you all are doing a lot. But there's other folks out there doing it too. I think it's important to like touch on like why it's it's important that the organizations who are on the ground, who can respond to these issues, um, who are also like scaffolding in the the folks receiving the services, as then later on becoming the leadership of organizations, right? Like mm -hmm. that's that's your track, right, Gloria? Like you were you're you're serving the youth who where you were once part of that group. Um, Still am. See, that's the see? thing, right? Like, I don't think we can disconnect each other from our experiences, but really, like, uplift where we come from and be rooted in our identity and, and the things that we've gone through. And even going back to the job situation, right? Like, you can support young people through these pipelines of, like, going to college, which is great. I think, again, like, everyone should. But then there is that barrier of like, how do you support your parents? And then if your parents are undocumented, or also don't have higher, higher um, financial paying jobs or economic, like don't have economical pathways to sustain to stability, right? Economic pathways to sustainability. Um, then you end up in this cycle of like, of course, the young person is not going to know about that job that pays $24 an hour or doesn't isn't thinking like a uh, job ready to get that job that's like $60,000 a year right and it is about like recognizing that young people have so many skills so many um talents to offer the world and even when we think about green space right like it's about um communicating with the community People might have the best intentions and the best ideas, but I think that each community uh, has different goals or di a different vision for what they want to see, right? So I think it's important to really have that strong relationship with community. We see gentrification in LA all of the time, right? And so that is a fear when you see people coming in to create green space. Well, what does that mean, right? Like, what green space or like what spaces are being created to support um, families to just like relax, right? There's so much tension. You drive down Vermont, you're gonna see a helicopter LAPD, right? Like the, the person that has like substance abuse issues, mental health issues, and then you're gonna have a school, right? On that same street. And in these blocks, you, you don't have community building together. You have some folks building, right? But how do you create a network where people can 
no, like we do want green space, right? We do want a park, but maybe we want that park to also have access to technology, mm. right? Like to have Wi-Fi, because I'm, I think a lot of the times too, we're policed in how we're supposed to think and we're not allowed to excel or even like think beyond what we're accustomed to, right? Not for like tomorrow or the next day, but what's like five years from now? What's the sustainable path that we're trying to build? Right, like we're so on the go that we don't have time to really sit and be the artist that we want to create and be innovative, right? Because we're being told, well, rent is due. Well, you're on in our probation or informal probation, and now you have a citation. Or you got a, a ticket that was $25, now your driver's license is suspended, right? Or someone's fighting a case at home or your friend, right? So there's like all these things, but when are you allowed to just have that space? to think and be okay. Like in this moment, create, right? Like a lot of young people and a lot of, I'm sure like adults don't have the opportunity to do that because they might be working those 14 hour shifts to provide for like food and like for the rent, you know? So just wanted to <laughs> Thank you. flag that. Um, and Sissy, for like a lot of the folks here in Chinatown, like the inaccessibility of green space, even though there's a huge state park there, is a very real, real, real thing. So I think a lot about these issues. Um, a lot of our work is around the issue of green gentrification. You know, when a new park comes in, you know, it increases property values. You start seeing developers and landlords kind of putting real estate ads being like walking distance to this park, but also kind of how green spaces are managed and operated and used. Um, in a way that over-polices people of color, over-polices houseless residents, street vendors. You know, like I think about, you go through like the, you know, the parks in Silver Lake and you see all of these um, street vendors getting over-policed for taking up public space, right, for a private use. And yet at the same time, you have these Instagram influencers teaching boot camp classes mm. that are also for private use. And that's totally acceptable. I wonder what's different about them. Um, you know, and then of course, like houseless residents and how do you, the solution isn't to shove them away, right? To find some other location, right? There was actually a policy that up, existed up until the seventies called the containment policy, which basically meant Skid Row was a containment zone, right? Where all the houseless residents across the county were dumped, right? And oftentimes I see that, right? Whenever we have like street sweeps, of houseless residents, you know, when the solution is always like call somebody, because the assumption is you call somebody, they'll get housing. Well, no, most of the time what happens is you call someone and they end up in jail or they get all their stuff thrown away, right? And then they just move to the next place, right? The next park, the next parking lot or wherever until they get shoved out again, right? And how do we create humane places that provide opportunities for everybody and a diverse set of uses? Because I think that's one of my big pet peeves too is that the way parks are designed oftentimes focus on middle class, um, 30 something adults with small children and then 20 somethings who are like jogging, right? But you know, where's the shading and the seating for seniors, right? Where's the programming for people who can't afford it? Right. And then, you know, like for a lot of houseless residents, the biggest things that they ask for, aside from clean bathrooms, is water fountains and charging stations for their cell phones. Yeah. Right. Because if they need to get a hold of their social worker or if they're on a list to get housing and the only way that they can get notified is through their cell phone, but their cell phone 
is dead because they don't have anywhere to charge it. You know, there's all of these different things that parks can do and play. And that's what I saw during the pandemic, right? Alpine Park over in Chinatown, you know, was a site for distributing vaccines, for doing COVID testing, was a homeless shelter, was distributing food, distributing PPE. Like, parks can be amazing spaces that bring together community, that bring together health and environmental justice and economic justice, right? But oftentimes, they're just bases for over-policing. True. My park had a sheriff substation at <laughs> for many years. Um, so for, for folks out there listening and, and who are going to take the survey on these issues and vote on what issues are important, you're hearing the important part of like being, being specific about when we talk about housing, when we talk about jobs like what it means for these specific populations so please like you know take what both gloria and sissy are sharing as as a way to influence how you're you know you're considering voting um as a follow-up to that sissy like open space not just parks but open space like open civic space also right like downtown la like um the accessibility or inaccessibility of of these spaces really um, influence the prioritization of funding, not just by funders, but also the city. Um, for me as an artist, as an individual who's, who's doing a lot of work around public space and the use of public space um, and how the built environment can also like either push us out or, or bring us in, um, what are some things to consider or rather, let me rephrase, rephrase that. How would Sika use like these spaces? How would YGC use some of these spaces? Connected to, like you mentioned, like there's a digital divide, like the gap in folks who have um, Wi-Fi, even just having Wi-Fi in a neighborhood, much less the ability to connect to Wi-Fi, right? Like what, what are some of these things that folks need to consider when, I don't know, proposing projects for, for this opportunity? Because again, that disconnect between like knowing how your neighborhood operates knowing who you know like who to go talk to about like what the real needs are um are sometimes the way where good intended projects can go like really wrong yeah i mean i think that's a great question and i think um how it would be great to use some of these spaces and this is just like my personal idea is like one right like how do you have a strong network of peace builders um that are people in the community that are trusted people right that can get training that want to support and uplift the community and like hold safety that doesn't involve the over policing that you named which we see happening right and we see that there is um, a choosing of who gets over-policed. And so I think parks and like open spaces are great and can really be innovative spaces where young people um, and people, peoples in general can really be involved in having like youth centers at a park, right? Where you can access resources, um, where you can build with community organizations like yours, um, like the YJC, right? And allowing like 
folks to have these like safe spaces that feel safe, um, not because of the police, but because of the peace builders that can exist and uh, support. But overall, right, like building like these hubs where folks can uh, be allowed to be. And you have a lot of people in these parks already. You have like, um, you know, there's like the, the regular people that hang out at the park, right? But uh, maybe it's like that tutoring or maybe it's like that art program um, that involves like photography and art and screen printing. And like, how do you become an entrepreneur? How do you build your own generational wealth, right? Um, all of those things can be accessed could, would be access in this space, right? Awesome, because that connects yeah. to a comment and a question that somebody had from the viewers. Oh, nice. Um, one is that we need to reimagine youth justice and divest from probation, right? So you spoke to that a little bit. But the, the, uh, the question was, is LA County too big to implement some of these broad-based solutions to these issues? Um, do the solutions need to be localized in order to be realized? So you spoke to some of that already, right? Um, but I think all three of us would say that LA is not that big enough to like implement some of these broad-based issues. Like 22 hubs across LA County for youth development. We have a plan. It's like literally if you look it up, it's called Youth Justice Reimagined and it's happening now, there you, go. you know? But the problem is like, how do you move probation dollars when you have probation paying 800, um, approximately $800,000 to incarcerate one young person and keep them in the carceral state? Is this per year? Yes, this is per year now. Because that amount could house a houseless person in permanent housing and give them services and give them income. Thank you, Sissy. So, yes. Yeah, I think one of my biggest pet peeves, to be quite honest, is when people think, is it too big? Is there's not enough resources, you know, especially the not enough resources piece, because California is the fifth largest economy in the world. And it's going to have a surplus after COVID. Yeah, exactly. We currently have a surplus. We had one last year, right? And it's not about like there isn't enough resources. It's just how we're utilizing it. Like, why is the federal government giving Jeff Bezos $40 billion for his like space tourism program, right? That is money that could be used to do a lot of other things that are much better for the climate, for youth justice, for any number of reasons. I think that there is a shortage of creative thinking, right? And I think that there is a shortage of political will, right? Mm -hmm. For me, like, especially because our work with housing is all about space and land and development and what can be done. And I feel like traditional urban planning has a very kind of single use model. And it's very American, right? Like this space can only be used as a park, right? For a playground. This space can only be used for art center. And I think about like my family in other countries and, and like, you know, I was born in Vietnam and, and you see parks as spaces, not where people just play, but people socialize, people get exercise, people make money by selling stuff, you know, people, get neighborhood information, right? Especially during the pandemic when media sources were not as reliable as we would hope, right? You go to the park, a lot of our residents went to Alpine Park to get the latest public health information, right? There's so much can be done in a space, right? And so like, you know, we're having conversations with our partners and our colleagues in Chinatown about a cultural center, right? And I think a lot of times people think a cultural center, they think of, museums or performance spaces like Disney Hall and stuff like that. And for me, I was like, 
well, we don't have space for a Disney hall, right? Or a LACMA, but we have space in Chinatown. And what could a cultural center look like that isn't just about commodified art, but also an expression of the community? Because I feel like street vending in Chinatown is as much an expression of culture as being able to paint, right? Um, the way people hustle in the neighborhood is an expression of culture, right? Of, of their resilience, of their experience as refugees and immigrants, right? Um, and experiencing decades of war and violence and colonization. And how do you survive that? That is an expression of culture that oftentimes gets ignored, right? And so I think like a cultural center in Chinatown could be, you know, we were talking about like maybe a thousand square feet. You know, in the mornings, it could be Tai Chi classes for the seniors. In the, you know, afternoons, it could be healthy, culturally relevant cooking classes for like families and parents and, and teens. Um, and then like in the afternoon, it could be like youth organizing. And then in, at night, it could be like a night market, right? Like I love Asian night markets. I wish, <laughs> <laughs> it's, such, it's such a shame that they, they aren't a bigger thing here because they are awesome, yeah. right? But you know, like, and I'm talking, you know, we're talking about like a thousand, 2000 square feet. Now imagine if we had one acre, two acres, 10 acres, right? How creative you could get by getting outside that box of this is gonna be housing here and this is gonna be park here. Like, why can't we integrate that? Why can't we get creative about how to connect to the assets we already have and leverage and grow what we need? True, yes. absolutely. So to follow up to that is like, how can folks take action now? I know this grant program has helped elevate organizations like Last Photos Project that does amazing work with, with primarily young and femme-identified folks. Um, it's also supported some very like localized neighborhood efforts. Um, but yeah, how can folks take action like now? Besides the voting for these issues, what are the things that, um, that they should be like aware of when yeah. it comes to housing, when it comes to youth development, when it comes to education or, or um, open space, green space? Yeah, I would say like with the Youth Justice Coalition, definitely looking us up on Instagram, Youth Justice LA, looking into our website. Um, there are many campaigns that folks can like in real time support in. And also, you know, like I would say looking into uh, Stop LAPD Spying Coalition, the Los Angeles Youth Uprising Coalition, um, and really like looking at what are the issues that uh, most connect to you, right, that you would love to support in. Is it like the youth justice uh, world or is it like the housing world or is it both, right? Um, and really like taking the time to do your research because every organization is different and the services that they provide um, and the atmosphere or, you know, the resources are very different. So taking that time to do your research, to look at like what are the spaces that you most connect with, that you feel most aligned with, and then figuring out how you can volunteer, how you can uh, reach out to them, how you can uh, be involved, right? Like we all have so many skills, connections, relationships to people. So bringing those things to the spaces that mostly need it, right? Like we need, we don't, we have, we're like, we're at capacity. We're like a small uh, organization involved with so many different things, but there's so many issues, right? So the more that folks could really come in and support in different ways like that, I feel like that's really what we need. So for me, it's, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit of a like wet blanket or wet towel on all of this. And the reason I say that is um, because we created a COVID program so quickly, and then also you know in light of what happened in Atlanta last year when there was that mass shooting of um, Asian you know massage workers, we got flooded with people saying, "I want to help. I want to help." Right. But the problem was a lot of people didn't know what they could help with. They had some requests that we couldn't accommodate, right? So some people were like, I can only help on Saturday nights at like 10 p.m. And I was like, well, my staff need the day off and we can't just have you, we can't just create opportunities for you to feel like you're plugging into something, right? And I'm not saying that to be mean, but just to be understanding of smaller orgs like us where we can't field every request to volunteer and we can't come up with every strategy for you, Poel, or the you know individualized, tailored opportunities for people to feel like I'm part of the movement, right? Um, and I say that because you know it's, it's a lot of work to figure out like and, and make that kind of... Um, matchmaking of your schedule, your time, your skills, and your interests, right? So it really does require some homework on the level of each person who wants to get involved to figure out like, well, what do you want to do and what are you interested in and what can you commit to, right? And so I'm going to use like two analogies. One is that at Sika, you know, when we talk to our youth, a lot of times they don't see themselves as leaders coming in. They, you know, because they see leaders as being like rich old white dudes who can stand in front of an audience and talk, right? And talk a lot. Yeah. And we kind of talk about, no, 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 you can't think of leadership as like the great savior. You have to think about it like the Avengers. What's your superpower, right? Everybody in the Avengers has their own skill and their own bit that they contribute to the team. Like if you had all hulks, things would be a disaster, <laughs> right? True. So you need someone who can like, do the tech, do the strategizing, do the whatever it is, right? And so we have the students kind of like during Halloween, we do them like social justice cosplay, right? Where they got to like design their own costumes. We'd bring in a lot of like scrap fabrics and props and stuff, and then kind of like work with them to be like, you know, if you're, if you, you don't like speaking, but you're really good at like managing logistics, that's just as important, right? And if you're like, you know, someone who is really shy, right? But you're someone who's really good at research. Well, we need researchers too. Yeah. We need people to provide childcare. We need people to help do all kinds of stuff, right? And everybody has their own different role to play, right? And so it's important that you kind of figure out what role you play. And then comes my second analogy. Social justice isn't a one-time thing, right? It's like, you know, you, people go on diets, like you, you can't just exercise once and assume that it's gonna work. You have to do it consistently. You don't have to do it like 20 hours a week. You know, you don't have to like exercise till you're like ready to drop dead, but you have to do it consistently, right? And oftentimes people come in and they just wanna do like a big splashy one day event, right? And then they're, they're done for the day and they get to feel good, right? And there is a ton of work that we have to do as a small organization to make sure that every person has a role, that everybody has the tools that they need, you know, but at the end of the day, it's helpful, right? Like earlier this year or last year, at the end of last year, we distributed 3,000 pounds of food to 
300 seniors who were living in a 16-story building in Chinatown that had no functioning elevators. Wow. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so we had, fortunately, a very young and very well um, fit group of like martial arts students at East, from East Wind Martial Arts uh, Studio climbing the upper floors. And then the older and less fit people were on the lower for, floors or doing the distribution. But, you know, like, that took a lot of work. That took weeks and weeks of planning, right? Um, and we, we would be happy to do it again if there's a need. But at the end of the day, it didn't change the long-term conditions of the seniors that live in that building, right? Because it didn't get rid of, you know, a slumlord. It didn't improve their substandard housing, but it did provide them with food because some of these seniors were trapped up there. Like, yeah. can you imagine walking up and down 16 floors? I can't do it with nothing. The thought of having to carry a bottle of water or rice or whatever, oof, right? And so that's what I mean, you know? And so one of the things that um, I did um, last year, actually, so Sika was part of an episode of Broken Bread, which is a TV show mm -hmm. on PBS that's hosted by Chef Roy Choi. And so we talked about gentrification in Chinatown and his role. And so if you go to our website, um, we have a blog post that kind of talks about, specifically this was about small businesses. How can you be an ally in the fight against gentrification? Right? And it was targeting small businesses that are, could be seen as hipster businesses, could be seen as gentrifiers. Right, Because our thing is, you're a gentrifier until you're part of the movement, mm. right? And you're, you know, silence is allowing all the evil to do, happen in this world. And so until you choose to do something, and it doesn't have to be something big or splashy or anything, it can be something small, right? It can be something that's 15 minutes a day, whatever it is. It could be donate, it could be, you know, reading, it could be yelling at your elected officials. <laughs> I have friends who love to do that, so whenever I, I need somebody yelled at, I'm like, Sue, <laughs> time to yell. You know, there's a lot of things you can do, but again, it has to be Part of playing an important role, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm hearing from both of you is current efforts, not just new projects, are just as valid in, in, in all of this. That sustainability for organizations like yourselves, the ones that you help um, organize and operate and, and move forward, um, an extra $50,000, an extra $75,000 a year can do a lot in sustaining and expanding your team. I mean, I see your face light up just thinking like, what can I do with an extra 50K? What can I do with an extra 75K? Um, so speak to that a little bit. Like, what does that sustainability mean? Like, I always get, I have like nails on the chalkboard when folks ask for like new projects when there's like, we can't even, sustain the current projects. Um, so yeah, like what, what is, I mean, yeah, your face lit up, so I'm gonna ask Well, yeah, I was like, wait, no, I think it's about like 50,000. That If you think about that, that's, a, that's like a, that's a very low amount to fund like so much work, right? I think like if the idea is like $200,000 every year or like $300,000 every year for five years, right? A lot of the times there's like funding, but it's one-time funds or it's uh, yearly grants or two years, right? And then you have to look for like that, those, those dollars. 
right? And then it's like, okay, well, um, this person might be doing the best core support work, right? And has connections with uh, the community, is building up like curriculum, is, you know, supporting in all these beautiful ways, but um, the funding that we have for their position, it's running out, right? And then it's also about like equity. How do you pay folks what they deserve? Right, and not minimize um, the amount, even though they're doing so many roles and wearing so many hats, right? So I think, like, for me, it's, I think um, it's about creating uh, pathways where folks can access funding in a way that's not so, uh, that isn't only for projects, right, that isn't project-based, but is like general funds. Like here's $100,000, um, do a report back at the end, right, versus like there's so many catches and, and so many barriers, right, uh, to even receive funding. So I think like being able to access funding in a way where, you know, you can pay someone's salary, but you can also do programming and, you know, there might be that event that you need food for, right? Like, that you can use that too, or you're gonna get stipends for folks to participate, right? Like $50 stipends, right? Um, using those funds and, and having access to funds in that way. So it's just as valid to supplement existing staff pay, right, with these type of funds? Yeah. So here's the thing, especially the last two years, everything has been so freaking unpredictable, right? And so, like, for us, 50000 isn't enough to pay the full cost of a staff person, right? Because it's not just their salaries. It's payroll taxes. It's benefits. It's, you know, um, paying for a desk, right? And a phone line and all of those things, right, to, for, for them to be able to work, right? And starting a new program is a lot more expensive than sustaining an existing one because you have startup costs. And if you don't know what's gonna happen at the end of the year, are you gonna have to shut that program down, right? Um, and then there's just like basic needs that our communities have that aren't gonna change, right? Food is a huge issue. We need it every day, three times a day, right? That's not gonna go away and, and doing something innovative isn't gonna change the fact that we have some very serious food insecurity issues in Chinatown, right? And so we can talk about innovation but if it's innovation for the sake of, of doing something that's, you know, for people who have like short attention spans, that actually is harmful to the work, right? Because it takes us away from working on what we know works. And we need that flexibility. Like last year we got, um, I think it was like $30,000 from a funder and I had to submit like six different budget adjustments to them, not because we weren't being good with our money, but because the needs kept changing. So at the beginning of last year, I had budgeted $0 to buy masks because by the, end of, by the beginning of 2021, we were getting a ton of donations of like surgical masks and cloth masks. And then what happened? Delta. Delta happened and it showed that, you know, surgical masks and, and paper, uh, cloth masks were doing nothing to protect people. And so I ended up having to make the decision to spend $2,500 buying N95 equivalents, right? You know, and this was like 
in the summer of last year, we were like, our communities are so at high risk. You know, we have a lot of people who are essential workers, who have to work from, you know, go out to work, who take public transit, who live in overcrowded housing, right? Like, we ended up spending thousands of dollars that we hadn't anticipated, because at the beginning of the year, I was like, oh, we, we have plenty of masks. Why would we need to spend it, right? And we made a choice, because it was an investment in the lives of our community, right? I couldn't have anticipated Delta. I certainly couldn't have anticipated Omicron, right? And so we've had to constantly shift like, oh, actually, you know, we need the money for this now instead of this, right? Like I wasn't anticipating distributing 3,000 pounds of food up 16 flights of stairs. That just kind of happened, yeah. right? And so that was money that, you know, we needed to kind of tell our funders, like, actually, we need to spend it here instead of here, right? And I don't I, I would prefer not to have to submit written requests every single time <laughs> that some emergency need hap uh, arises and we need to respond. The joys of running an organization, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so what I'm hearing, too, is that supporting the existing teams with the tools to do the already great and amazing programming that you already offer is just as valid as some random new project. And for folks voting on issues like housing and education, and when I say education, I also don't want folks to think about school-based education and learning in that sense. Um, like we run an apprenticeship program and we Specifically, we, we were intentional about calling it an apprenticeship program because um, learning outside of institutions is just as important as learning within institutions. Um, so, you know, when we say education, we mean education in the fullest sense. Um, in the last year, we've been, the last two years, we've been doing a lot of like COVID safety advocacy within the schools. Is that education protecting our youth and families from COVID? Well, I would say yes. Capacity building. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. it's, it's, these issues are so much bigger for communities like ours, right? Because it's not like we can silo them the way more affluent communities, more privileged communities can, right? So going back to that question of like, is this possible countywide? I think we all can agree that it is, right? LA County has so much money. It's better countywide because we can have, you know, orders of scale to make change. We have the money to make change. True. Yep. Just like the vote, Board of Supervisors voted for the Community First, what is it called again? The community. CFCI? Community yeah. First Care, Care first. Initiative or Investment. Um, you know, for me, like, <laughs> LA County... And what drives Alley County's funding, I don't know, field or whatever, um, is supported by land speculation, right? Of course. Land tax. Um, so is this possible countywide? Absolutely, because, I mean, as real estate prices go up, so does the intake of the county. Um, so yes to that question, but then also like to the points you all bring about like acting and thinking locally. I mean, thinking globally, acting locally, right? Like really supporting the on the ground organizations such as YJC and Sika um, and many others. Um, but always, 
always, always with community at the core and the center, right? Um, that's what I'm taking from you all. So thank you both. Um, thank you, Sissy and Gloria, for joining me in this conversation. And I hope this helps both folks, community members voting for these issues, but also the review process that, that will select, you know, the 10 75K award winners and then the 550K award winners. Um, it sounds like a lot of money sometimes, but like, <laughs> like you all just mentioned, like it's gonna take more than that to, to sustain the work we're all doing. Um, so I hope this also for folks out there listening um, and watching that they support your organizations, which is Sika.org. Sika LA. Sika-LA.org. Sika-LA.org. And YouthJusticeCoalition.org. YouthJusticeLA.org. YouthJusticeLA.org. Awesome. Let's make sure we get that in the chat, too. Um, you can vote on the LA 2050 grant challenge at the link that's provided um, in this broadcast. And also check Socalo's website, um, SocaloPublicSquare.org. Uh, for a summary of our talk and these interviews and more information about Sissy and Gloria, you can check out the website. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.